Welcome back to Hot Takes and Deep Dives. This is Jess. And please join me in welcoming our resident legal consultant back to the show. She was on back in December when the Tom Girardi, Erica Jane criminal investigation first broke, but a lot has happened since then. She's a badass lawyer, a licensed attorney for over 15 years, and she's a former prosecutor. Let's get right into it. Welcome back, Emily D. Baker. Hi, Jess. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so happy to be like the resident legal commentator. I'm I'm living for it because pop culture legal commentary is really my favorite. Like there's very serious lawyers out there that are like, why are we talking about housewives? I'm like, but why would you not? <laughs> like, why are we not talking about the Kim and Kanye divorce? I can, we can talk about that too. <laughs> It's so, but here's the thing with the Kim and Kanye divorce here. We're going to talk about it for seven seconds. Uh, they had a seemingly really ironclad premarital prenuptial agreement that kept all of their property separate. So they're just going to go back to that agreement and be like, this is this, this is that. Here it is to the court. And the court's going to be like, okay, you're divorced. Bye. But wait, you know, what's so interesting, their home, she owns the land and he yes. owns the house. Yes. So- does that mean that he would have to lease the land from her if he wants to keep the house? It depends on how they decide to do it. He could either lease the land from her. He could, they could trade other interests because she's a part owner in Yeezy. So it could be like, I'll give you back the Yeezy ownership and you give me the house that's on the land. I mean, they will end up sorting that all out, I'm sure, through attorneys. It really does seem to me from just the court documents I've seen, which are very bland, but from the quietness in the media that they are like, we're two parents. We're not doing this in the media. We have four kids. They're not going to look back on these documents from this time and see us fighting. We're going to just have our attorneys go behind the scene and kind of, I hate to say horse trade, but it's what it is. Horse trade these different assets because it really is at this point, a business disillusion more than the marital disillusion. Yes, it's the end of a relationship with four kids, but the amount of assets there are just what goes in Kanye's column, what goes in Kim's column. They asked for 50-50 custody flat out in mm-hmm. the divorce documents. There's not going to be any issues which over is custody a good, which at Which is this a good point. sign. It just shows that a they're both. Thing. Yeah. A great thing. And they both, um, they said in the divorce document, nobody's paying spousal support. So there's no argument over that. It really is going to be who owns what and how do we disentangle it And I imagine, again, the lawyers will do all that behind the scenes, submit it to the court, and the court will stamp it. And that's going to be the end of that. It's a very mature business disillusion. Completely. It's nice to see. It it is. And it's one of the things I talk about when you go in, especially if you have businesses and an intended spouse has businesses, to go in with that, how do we get out of this plan? I tell that to my business clients too that I consult with because you have to go into a contract knowing how you're going to get out of it and hope that you never have to. But what you want, if you have to end a relationship, it'd be nice to be like, hey, the contract says this, we're just going to do that. And we'll both go our separate ways. It shouldn't have to be ugly, but we get so uncomfortable talking about that stuff at the Mm -hmm. beginning when all things are great. And you're like, no, I'm just so excited that nobody wants to talk about how is this going to end? Okay, wait, actually, we see that in the Jordies. Emily, this is a perfect. So I before we jumped on, (laughs) I was like, okay, so guys, just so you know, like today, we're going to go extremely deep on the Britney conservatorship. Obviously, everybody at this point has watched Framing Britney Spears, how she wound up in a conservatorship. We don't need to give that background. We all know. We we all know the history. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do Britney. And then I just find the reason why I reached out to you, it's like, you know, the way we all, the public learned this word conservatorship was from Britney. That's how I learned it back in 2007. That wasn't unless you were in the legal Field. I don't think everyday people knew the word conservatorship. I can't think of one that's been this public, for sure. I just find it amusing that now suddenly Tom Girardi is in a conservatorship. Like, who would have Isn't ever interesting? predicted, like, Britney and Tom Girardi would have this in common? There's, It's interesting parallels, isn't it? And we'll talk about some of that because Tom Girardi is almost not almost, he is the more typical conservatee, if what they're saying is Mm. true. And of course, we haven't seen medical records. That is still in process. It's been an emergency conservatorship. There's a lot of speculation from a lot of people about why he's doing that. But if what his brother said in his declaration were true, taking it at face value, of course, that doesn't mean it is. 
He's saying he has substantial short-term memory loss. He's not grasping the nature of the proceedings. He's like, I don't understand why this is a problem and can't help his attorneys, maybe can't hire attorneys. That's typically in an 80 plus year old who's facing some very significant stuff going, I don't grasp the gravity of the situation. That's what you generally would see in a conservatorship. Mm -hmm. Someone who cannot manage a complex estate, cannot live independently. And from some of these filings, we're seeing that there has been substantial help in their home um, for as, as long as those court documents go back, that there's been kind of caretakers and property people just taking care of Tom. So he really just had to get up, get dressed, do the things he did in the work day and be done. And that's not really what we saw from Brittany when she started this. And the interview with the attorney who wanted to be her attorney in framing Britney Spears gives us a lot of insight into that. He's saying, no, she understood and she understood enough to know she couldn't fight it. So then mm-hmm. she was negotiating, okay, if I can't fight this, my next best choice is anyone but my dad. That's someone who understands what's happening and understands the chess game to go, oh, I'm not going to win this argument. So let's try to settle for something less. And that leans towards not needing a conservatorship because we appreciate the gravity of the situation where Tom Girardi doesn't even have lawyers appearing in court on some of this stuff. And it's just like, oh, whatever. And that's where you see that inability to actually appreciate what's going on. And later on, when we go, when we refresh the Girardi case, I want to know why doesn't Erica have any lawyers appearing in court? I want to know that too. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this was the curveball that I told you I was going to throw at you because we were, you were just talking about how a divorce can be relatively simple. If, if you have the contract in place to begin with, here's my question for you. Why were Bethany and Jason Hoppy still married up until a month ago? Girl, the fighting that has gone on in that divorce is shocking to me. Is it because Jason Hoppy's a clout chaser? Maybe. And Bethany's, she's fighting. She stood, but she stood her ground and was like, we're not doing this. And he's like, oh, yes, we are. Yes, we are doing this. She initially filed for divorce in January 2013. Their custody agreement and there was a financial settlement that happened. Well, the custody agreement was done like pretty early. There was a financial settlement in July of 2016, yet their divorce was just finalized. Which is crazy. I I don't, the amount of stuff that's gone on in that divorce and the amount of court hearings and the ugliness within it is why they're not done because there has to be, once you get everything settled, there has to be this wait period where nothing happens to allow the court to be like, and now we're finally done. But the fact that that they haven't been able to wrap that divorce is mind boggling to me. What could possibly be, what is left to wrap up? I don't know what their continuing issues are. I know there were issues. They had modified some of the child support arrangements. Um, They were still dealing with selling some properties and things like that. That's all done. That's years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that the properties, even when they decided to sell them, they didn't sell right away. And so they have to wait for that to be done and the money to be divided. But that seems like it should have been done that, um, that at is least definitely two years done. ago. Yeah, that was so, done on camera two years ago. <laughs> like literally. <laughs> exactly. She sold that so Tribeca I, apartment like seasons ago. It. Yeah. Yep. I don't, I don't know what has kept it still in court and why it hasn't been stamped and done. Because they certainly would have had a prenup. I don't know. I haven't pulled the court documents to see if it references a prenup. We should do a whole nother show on that. I would love nothing more. I'm like, we should just dive into that too. Yep. I would love to do that. It's settled. We're going to, I'm going to pull the court documents. And then there was stuff that went on in the media that I'm not aware of. So I'm going to pull the court documents. You're, you're going to just remember the things you remember. I remember the stuff from the show, but other than the show, I didn't really follow everything going on outside of it. So there's a lot that went down. Perfect. So I'll pull the court documents and be like, okay, this went on. And you'll be like, yes, it was. This. Oh, I know every apartment. Project. I'll give you the address of every apartment. She's left <laughs> I'll give you the floor plans. <laughs> like, well, perfect. Because you're that's also my area there, of expertise. Right? <laughs> Didn't she also go on one of the renovation shows or one of the like real estate shows in New York too? She and Frederick had a spinoff. Did they? Yes. So, Bethany and Frederick. Yes. It was horrible. <laughs> 
because they See, the whole I idea loved... was that they, they, they the whole idea was they were gonna flip apartments and flip houses out in the Hamptons and they could never successfully like buy a buy an apartment it's like it never worked and the entire thesis of the show like failed in production so they were like oh we have nothing fantastic and so you all you saw was them fighting not not interested I get it um I enjoyed Bethany getting married or Bethany gets married like that was a spinoff I loved that was a spinoff I love. The episode where she and Jason Hoppy are lost at sea with a therapist. I interviewed the therapist on this podcast. Stop it. I'm going to have to go back and I'll, find I'll it. I'll send it to you. It's oh, amazing. please do. It's amazing. Please do. Dr. That Amador. is amazing. Yes. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love some of the spinoffs. Um, I really do. But I've also, I can't like, it, it's like Grey's Anatomy. I can't stop watching Housewives now because I'm so invested. Like, you've watched it so long you kind of have to keep going because you want to see how it ends and it's not gonna end because it's people just living their life it's the most brilliant thing for a tv show ever it's like people's lives are gonna be messy there's no way they they could have ever imagined when they cast new jersey where we were gonna get to well they, may have, no they may have had a hint that like the mob the mob was involved like that's not big of a stretch but no we didn't know that Teresa was gonna go to prison no and joe was gonna get deported they looked into her because of the show. That's why the IRS started sniffing around. Yep. People are nosy. <laughs> you put your whole life on TV. People are going to start pulling at those strings. All right. Well, where should we start? Do you, I mean, where to begin? Like, you tell me. What are you? Hmm. Do you want to start with framing Britney Spears? What were your thoughts on it? I wholeheartedly agree with you that there has, there has been no celebrity as victimized by the media as Britney Spears since day one of her career appearing on star search when she was 10 years old. That is when it began. Watching that clip back made me sick to my stomach because I remember living through it. Britney was coming up when I was in college. And so I remember kind of seeing it, but not really being like into it because I'm a diehard nineties bitch. And so like, Same. I was still mm-hmm. listening to like Metallica and Nirvana and, mm-hmm. you know, three eleven and Dave Matthews band. So I was watching it happen, but wasn't as invested in it as like the millennials and the younger millennials were. And I remember seeing this perception of like, Oh, Britney's the good one. And like Christina Aguilera is kind of like the, the other one, but then it was the like everybody one. The dirty one, right? But everybody's like clawing for this Britney fall from grace because she was still hypersexualized. And at the time I was watching this going, is she she 16? Because like I'm 20 and that feels weird that she's 16. But also being a young woman and connected to that being like, no, I don't think I was ever sexier than I was at 16 because there's just some power in that. But the how it was exploited looking back as now an adult in my 40s going, oh my God. Mm-hmm. that this and then watching her interviewed by women who were shaming her and blaming her the and diane Sor- sawyer interview is disgusting. so damning it's disgusting it's unbelievable all right i'm gonna dive in with my, my with my questions because i know you have looked at the court documents for britney like extensively yes. i guess let's we're gonna start at 2007 why would jamie spears her father be named the conservator back then considering he was completely absent from her life and career up until that point like what where where is the mother where is lynn spears it seems to me and this is from other things i've read not from the court documents because the court documents don't say why like there's no explanation of why it just is so this is a little bit of me kind of piecing things together for what i presume it seems that lynn defaulted to jamie because jamie was like i can give my whole life to doing this like i'm I can do this. I can uproot my life. I don't know what he was doing anyways. He had his own issues. like Right. He had, he had filed, his own stuff going on. Yeah. Like he had filed for bankruptcy. I know that he struggled with addiction. He had, he was not thriving. Let's just say that. Right. Yeah. And conservators get paid. So if he's got nothing else going on and the court's going to kind of tell you what to do, you can move in with your daughter and control her life. And then it's a way that you're essentially living with your child but also they're paying you to do so. It's clear that that's not what she wanted, but courts do tend to default to family members thinking that family members aren't going to take advantage of vulnerable individuals the way 
somebody outside the family might. I think when you mix celebrity and with that, that can be different. But when you mix addiction and with that, that can be different. And when you mix in family dynamics, I think it can almost be harder. But given her age, I'm not surprised that a family member was chosen. Why it wasn't Lynn Spears, I don't know. Why she didn't talk about that specifically in her book. She talked about the conservatorship, but I don't think she talked about why it was Jamie and why it wasn't her. She might not have wanted to do it. Jamie Lynn Spears was young and coming up at that time too. So it might've really been, all right, well, you haven't been around, Jamie. You've got nothing going on. This is what you're doing for our daughter. It's time you show up. And this is how you're going to show the fuck up. When you went through all the court documents, what were the pieces that we have not seen? Well, I have not been through every single. I have been through lots. There are thousands of filings. Mm -hmm. What are the things we haven't seen? A lot of the things we haven't seen are sealed. <laughs> <laughs> like what did, what did you, oh, right. Okay. The There's things... a tremendous amount of sealed documents in this case relating to the money. The things I was surprised to find were things like the Lou Taylor, um, Lou M. Taylor quitting as the business manager and the renegotiation of the business manager contract. That's all spelled out very clearly. The fact that she was receiving death threats, all of those death threats were screenshotted into some of these court filings. And I hadn't seen that widely reported on or shared. I'd seen snippets about it, but she was really trying to renegotiate this very extensive business manager contract. And that is still in contention because mm -hmm. Jamie approved it and paid for it with like, oh yeah, it's fine. With like an email. Yeah, it's fine. But Brittany's attorney has objected to it. And those are things that are still up in the air. And I think with the new trust coming in, the finances are going to be evaluated going back a little bit to see why it was done. But some of those also connected with Brittany stopping to perform and then COVID. And so there was all, there's a lot of kind of upset in how that was working. And now I think with the business manager quitting and, and Bessemer Trust coming in, it'll be very interesting to see how that goes forward. But that was one of the things I was most surprised to see it so flushed out in the court documents was that relationship. Was there anything additional in the court documents referring to her refusal to work, essentially record and perform? Everything that her lawyer has submitted with regard to that was widely reported and okay. was like clipped out because it was her lawyer was really speaking about Britney's wishes for the first time. That's why those court documents hit so much because for years there was nothing, no objections mm -hmm. from him, not a lot. And then all of a sudden it ramped up. And what I don't know is if it ramped up because of the incident with Jamie Spears and Britney's kids. Yes. But it yeah. feels to me there was, uh, there was a turning point at this where somebody started pushing on her lawyer to change what was happening. And I don't know if that was incidents with her kids. I don't know if that was her dad's health issues. I don't know what that turning point was. There's been a wide speculation about what happened at the end of her Vegas residency and not wanting to start the new one. Something that we don't know happened. And she was like, I'm done. Like, it's very clear in the court documents, Brittany has put her foot down and was like, I don't care. I will breach the contract. Because remember, her dad signs these business agreements. She doesn't get to choose her contracts. He chooses. One can hope that he negotiates with her. But in the last court doc, in the, this T, in the last court documents, it said Brittany does not have the right to know who her business manager is. She, the conservator knows, but she did the words they use. She doesn't have the right to know. So I'm not optimistic that Britney's had input in any of these contracts based on their like, yeah, her business manager quit and we hired a new one. She doesn't need to know about it. I was, I was like, whoa, that's your position that she doesn't have the right to be involved in her own business. Cool. That tells us a lot. So I think that there was this um, rebellion somewhere. Yeah. And she's like, the only thing I can rebel with is actually like literally laying down on stage and just not performing. And she broke the contract for the up the, in the zone and for the upcoming, um, residency. I'm Dominate, sure her domination. estate was charged. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure her estate was fined for breaking that contract. She doesn't care. Um, it seems, and I don't think she cares about the money. I think she is now just fighting for her freedom. The money be damned. Well, the bottom line is the people who are benefiting are the people who are in charge of the money. And yes. it begs the question, 
or the people who are part of the conservatorship entirely corrupt and just pulling strings to stay in control because it's in their best interest. And just piggybacking on the meal ticket, that is the Britney machine. Following the money is always is always a marching cry of mine because follow the money will kind of let you let you know what you need to know. And yet the people in charge of giving her more freedom are the people who are benefiting from her being in this conservatorship. With court oversight, one always hopes that the court is really actually providing oversight, but it also requires two sides. The court isn't going to on their own often say, this seems odd. The court's going to go, oh, the lawyers on the different sides are in agreement. Great. Everything looks fine. So it is incumbent on the lawyers to actually raise the issues. And I feel like the court appointed attorney, Sam Ingham, has been outspending resources because Brittany pays for her father's attorneys. So the estate is paying for the legal team. Oh, everybody is, is fighting on Brittany's her. payroll. Yes, but she's not allowed to hire an attorney to stand up for her. She's mm. only allowed to pay for the expensive attorneys to stand up against her. That is, that is insane. When that was revealed in the documentary, that was really it's distasteful. Nuts. Yeah, and yeah. we we should be clear. Brittany has not asked. The ask is not to end the conservatorship. The ask Correct. is to get rid of the dad. Correct. And I think it's a very realistic ask. Again, this indicates to me that Brittany is very aware of what's likely and what's not likely and is taking kind of a phased approach. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point you see, this is what I think will happen in the next you know, six months, year, is you'll see Bessemer Trust take over as the financial conservator of the estate, the money part, the business agreements, the business managing. And that's not unusual for a celebrity of her status to have something like that in place anyway. Someone who's paying the bills, helping read the contracts, keeping everything running so she can be the talent. And then we might see some stepping back in the restrictions on the conservatorship of the person, which Jody Montgomery is still the temporary conservator of. So I think that that's probably the goal is to leave the financial bit in place and start to step back the personal restrictions. What are the risks of just completely ending the conservatorship? The risk to Brittany? Mm -hmm. I think that having this type of restrictive conservatorship for this long, completely releasing it would leave almost a void that could suck in people who are unscrupulous, business managers, um, people who who are not super helpful or could be tremendously overwhelming. I, think I mean, couldn't the, her, like, couldn't it be a reality because she hasn't had to deal with any financial, you know, the, the, the day-to-day, you know, maintenance of a house or any, I mean, couldn't just like her water and electrical be turned off if she doesn't know how to pay a bill? It would be tremendously overwhelming. And I don't, I think even if the conservatorship was removed, there would still be people in place that would do that. The thing is, there wouldn't be any court oversight as to whether those people were taking advantage of the estate or not. And that's definitely a concern, depending on how involved she is. She hasn't been involved in kind of the adult life ever. She's had that managed for her her entire life. That's not saying she doesn't want to learn, but you you and I would be very overwhelmed managing an estate like hers with the amount of pieces going on. It takes, it took two trustees this entire time because they are complex because it's not just the perfume line. It's not just merchandising. It's also negotiating with studios, licensing agreements, um, streaming rights, very complex taxes. It's all of that. So it's why celebrities have someone in place. She also happens to have court oversight with hers. So I think she would keep that in place with the personal freedoms. I don't know how that would go for her. I don't know what she would want to do. Obviously we, we haven't really heard from her in public in a free and unrestricted way. The fear of most courts in a conservatorship, and this is why you generally don't see them end is that the conservatorship started because the individual was vulnerable or incapable and most of the time, those aren't things that are recovered from or or changed. It's not a conservatorship because it's a temporary thing. It's a conservatorship because this condition is suspected to last. Otherwise, it would just be a power of attorney. So 
it's hard, I think, for a court to wrap their mind around, am I going to make her more vulnerable by removing all of this protection? Because they see it very much as protection, not restriction. But she she should be in complete control of whether she records and performs, if nothing else. Agreed. And I think that if her dad is removed, if she has a good a good relationship with her business managers, that that could happen. But I get the sense that that this is the only only area where she has any control at all is to say, I'm not performing. It's it's like a very stubborn child refusing to eat. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not doing it. Make me. Uh-huh. You cannot make an adult human get up and perform. And I think that she realized that that was the only control that she had. And I wonder if she performed for so long because it was the only freedom that she had. That when she got up on stage, she could actually be Britney for a while before she had to go back up to her penthouse, be separate from her kids, not really be able to live her life. And that's why she did it for so long because she didn't care. It was lining her dad's pockets. She just wanted that, you know, hour or two every night where she got to be herself. And that's how I perceived the continued performing through all of this. Do we know if she like, is it anywhere in the court documents if she's been re like medically reevaluated? It's been quite a while okay. because there was a medical reevaluation coming up. The person that the court had appointed had a heart attack and died. And it doesn't seem that there's been a new, that that's been addressed anew, but it needs to be. Okay. Now the people, I want to talk about like the, the free Britney movement. Do you think that public pressure has any weight in the eyes of the law, like in the eyes of a judge, could we could the Free Britney movement potentially harm this entire process? Like, couldn't this be potentially pissing off a judge? It's so interesting because all judges have different temperaments. And I was a research attorney. I worked for two judges. I have friends that are judges that had worked with me as the DA's office and had good relationships with the judges that I've worked with. So I feel like I've had a little insight to how some judges work, not all, of course, but some judges will just tune out what's going on and some judges are much more aware of it. I think it has encouraged Sam Ingham to continue to ask for the things that they want to ask for because they know that there's now a spotlight on it. So he's, I feel like he is fighting an uphill battle against the legal machine that is the conservatorship's side in this. They have clearly more resources, more people, and more more time is what that translates into, and he does not. So having the spotlight of the public, I think, helps. And we've seen in court filings Sam Ingham saying, we want this to be more open. Brittany wants mm-hmm. people to see what's going on. We don't want this to all be under seal. And I think that that public pressure helps keep things transparent because now there's, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of other attorneys, not just myself. There's lawyers for Brittany that runs an Instagram account and a Twitter account that are looking at these documents too. There are lots of other attorneys in the mix now looking at this and asking questions about not just this conservatorship, but others. And it almost allows Sam Ingham to kind of crowdsource other attorneys because there's so much commentary on it because the free Britney movement brought it into public light. Could it be harmful? Yeah, there's definitely harmful aspects to it. And I saw that in the court documents that I went over. If you guys want to see them, I went over them on YouTube and pulled them all up. But you see all the death threats that Lou M. Taylor received. Whatever one thinks of her, the court is not going to be stoked on the horrific things that were being said to her and most of those threats had a hashtag free Britney at the end, or the accounts were from hashtag free Britney. So I think the the movement itself has great goals and has really brought public pressure and attention to this. But people within the movement take that too far. Mm-hmm. And that's the balancing act because the court is not going to be stoked on death threats to the business manager while there's stuff going on. And those are also criminal things. And when criminal things happen behind the scenes in civil cases, it can often end up in criminal cases as well. So I like seeing the free Britney movement, bringing attention, raising awareness, talking about the upcoming court dates, going into court, sitting in court, reporting back what they're, they're court watching for everyone 
What I don't like to see are horrific and graphic death threats to anyone involved. Y'all can hate Jamie Spears all you want. Um, what you can't do is go ahead and threaten them over DMs on Instagram and mm-hmm. what have you. Well, speaking of that, what did you think of her boyfriend? Her boyfriend is Sam. What's his last name? Asgari? Yes. What did you think of his comments? I, I was shocked that he was able was to, to speak out against the father. Like, how is that I'm allowed? I'm also shook that he's like 26. Well, that's a whole like, other story. I'm shook by the fact that he's 26. But like, how is he not I was un- live like, streaming. Isn't he under an NDA? Like, how is he allowed to just like say what he thinks? He might not be. Um, but also he might be like, and what are you going to do? And what are you going to do? You're going to sue me? The free Brit- Could you imagine what the Free Britney movement will do if Jamie Spears tried to sue Sam Asghari for saying Sam said Jamie was a dick? Like, uh-huh. can you imagine? Because he didn't really say anything horrible. What he said was, I, I want Jamie to respect our relationship. And I think he's a dick. Like, we all kind of think Jamie's a dick. <laughs> so wait, you were live streaming and I was then live that's streaming when, when you that found happened. out? Oh my God. No, it, it, he posted it while I was on stream and we probably had 4,000 people on stream. So people are on stream with me in the background and doing other stuff. And they were like, her boyfriend made a statement on Instagram. So we pulled it up live and then TMZ happened to find him outside of a store and happened to be there recording. And he happened to also give a follow-up statement. It was so strange how that worked. And (laughs) we watched it live on stream and I was just like, oh my goodness. And that happened right after the documentary came out and right as a court date was coming up. So it was very interesting to get even the slightest bit of insight into what he's thinking about this whole thing. Cause it can't be a fun life for him either. What did you think of that female lawyer who turned on her? She is in this new universe of lawyers also acting as PR. Mm. And we've seen that attorney also now make statements about the documentary. That attorney was rehired onto Jamie's team after she interviewed with the documentary. And she has put out statements saying, y'all don't understand But her statements were also because lawyers aren't PR people, but they are, and they know what they can and can't say. Her statement talks about the need for the conservatorship when it started and is absolutely silent as to what's going on now. If you read between the lines of what she says and listen to her statements, Mm -hmm. they are very carefully crafted to say, this is a man who wanted to protect Jamie Spears, protect Mm -hmm. his daughter. You've got to understand when this started, how needed it was, but she is silent as to what's going on now. I don't think anyone disagrees that when this started, there were issues and Brittany needed to be protected. The question is, is she really incapable? Is she really incapacitated to the need that a conservatorship over both her money and her person are still necessary? And it's unusual. The, the courts are not set up for people to get out of conservatorships. They're set up for people to stay in them. But again, Brittany has not asked to get out. I think that that may come as to the person it may not it may be look if it's less restrictive whatever we'll just do this it's fine so we'll see what happens but I was um I was not surprised Uh (laughs) and it was a very carefully crafted statement I was like oh interesting but she also look she knows where she works who she works for and and her roles within coming up in her firm that is probably very male dominated. I'm sure the Jamie Spears team said we have got to get at least one female attorney on here to be the public facing attorney. They already think Jamie's a dick. We can't have public perception being that he just has all old male white lawyers, the behind the scenes. I'm sure that's what it is. And we need the public facing face of the Jamie Spears conservator side to be a woman. Cause then maybe people will hear empathy. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear a lot of empathy in the statement. I'm just going to say. Yeah, no. I mean, it just, it kind of seems like she's, she's living for the applause as Gaga would say. She's, I think she's towing the party line because she has a job within a firm. So the most recent update is that the Bessemer Trust is now a co-conservator with Jamie Spears. Yes. And you had said the additional ruling, this additional ruling is a win, 
for Brittany. Yes. And Absolutely. So what's next? Like when's the next court hearing? Yeah, like what's next? There will be a there's been a lot of of other stuff going on with the financials and there were objections. And so some of those objections with regard to financial documents are going to be ruled on. There's still stuff coming with regard to the objections over Lou M. Taylor and her her raise, her like $300,000 raise. So that's going to still be litigated. The conservator of the person is still a temporary conservator and that's been bumped back until September. So we're going to keep seeing reevaluations by the court, but nothing really earth shattering next, but that doesn't mean Brittany's attorney can't six months from now say, now we're going to bring a motion to remove Jamie as financial conservator of the estate. I think we will see that motion at some point. The court made it very clear that they were open to that motion coming down the road. It seemed to me that the court was saying, look, what we're not going to do is just take Jamie, who's been over this financial trust out of the equation and just throw somebody new into it. It's going to be disruptive. It could potentially be very costly. And it could actually harm Brittany if we're just turning over this estate where it seems that Jamie's the only one that really knows where things are for better or for worse. So we're going to let them work together. We're going to let Bessemer figure out what Jamie knows, get things in order. And then the court indicated they were open to that motion coming at another time. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is a phase to allow Bessemer Trust to actually do their job. What had happened was that Jamie Spears was like, no, no, I don't need a co-conservator. We're all good. We've got a business manager and me. I don't need this professional company coming in. And I don't want them in the books. It's going to cost Brittany more money to have this trust, me and the business manager. We don't want to do that. We don't, from my interpretation, we don't need them to see behind the curtain. But Bessemer is going to come in and do their job as a professional company and peek behind the curtain, start looking at all the books. And we'll see. I mean, if anything has been sketchy, one would hope that Bessemer would be like, we've got some questions. We need to do more thorough accountings. Final thing on the the general theme of Brittany, just to like very slightly bring Justin Timberlake into this. You said something super interesting. I mean, th- this isn't really, it's tangentially related to Brittany, but, <laughs> but you were saying how you were in law school at the time of the Justin Timberlake, Janet Jackson Super Bowl. And it was a very interesting conversation among your your colleagues and your friends in law school at that time about what can and cannot be shown on TV and the idea of like a delay being in place. The delay got added because of Janet Jackson boop. Um, it also was curious to me that everyone lost their mind over just, it was like a boob with a pasty on it. And the world lost their mind. And and it was like, there are kids watching the Super Bowl. I'm like, that same Super Bowl has like Jessica Simpson writhing on a car, eating a giant burger in Daisy Duke shorts, moaning. Like, are you kidding me? We're okay with the GoDaddy ads with all the boobs in the world. But this woman who is a performer literally has a costume malfunction because there was supposed to still be lace over it. Yeah. And he was supposed to just take off the black uh, part like the leather part of the bustier and literally the whole world lost their mind but it's because the company got fined by the ftc for that the commercials are regulated differently than a live performance the commercials i think are way more suggestive than than the fractions of a second but it became a is the boob free speech because i was in constitutional law at the time <laughs> is the boob free speech is is government regulation over obscenity appropriate when there's an accident? Like, is it the fact that there's a nipple because the nipple was covered? And then you've got Adam Levine, topless, uh, you know, all chest ablazed with nipples and tattoos performing in the Super Bowl years later. (laughs) And people are like, let's lick him. This is amazing. I'm like, y'all were really angry about fractions of a second of Janet Jackson wearing a pasty. And y'all are cool with men doing it. So then it becomes this parody in like, is a nipple an issue? Why is a boob an issue? Why is this so dumb? Why can't we get our lives together? But there was a lot of push pull in law school about it and, and about everyone losing their minds about it and about how the FTC regulations are evolving. And that conversation that happened 15, 
15, 16, whatever years ago, 20 years ago now almost, Mm -hmm. hasn't evolved enough because we're seeing this coming up in online spaces. What can be on YouTube? What can't be on YouTube? What what are people doing on Snapchat? James Charles. What are, you know, what are these things happening and how is how are regulations catching up or not catching up because regulations didn't know how to deal with Janet Jackson's boob. And they sure don't know how to deal with online chats, um, impropriety, only fans like they're yeah. everyone's scrambling to catch up and the people scrambling to catch up. Don't use these services. Didn't grow up with these services and generally don't know what is happening. <laughs> there. I have lots of thoughts. Yeah. I have lots of thoughts how women are portrayed in the media, we saw that with Britney. It was like, oh, you're allowed to be the sexy little girl and we love that. The, oh, the, star, the star search host asking her at 10 years old, do you have a boyfriend? Disgusting, right? Because women are valued by having a man. Her getting interviewed at what age was she? 16, 17 years old? Are you a virgin? Are you fucking kidding me? That's, a, that's an interview question. And if she had walked off stage, what would everyone have said? What would she, what would people have said if she walked off stage? If she got asked, are you a virgin? And then walked off stage, everybody would have said that she was temperamental, that she was a bitch, that she was. Yeah, I was going to say that she's a and that she was a whore, you know, because clearly those are the only options as opposed to that's a really inappropriate question to ask someone under the age of 18. And also it's none of your business. So don't ask anyone over 18 either. You can assume they're not a virgin if they've given birth to a child. That's when you can, <laughs> yes. that's when you can safely assume. Every, everyone is a virgin until childbirth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, let's just not assume people's sexual status or health or orientation or gender. Can we just stop assuming about people? Let, let's jump into the Girardi updates. So we'll go through both the bankruptcy updates and the medical stuff. For sure. Okay, so you just pulled up the Tom Girardi court documents from the hearing last week where his psychiatrist is claiming that he has both late onset Alzheimer's and dementia. Can you walk us through the highlights so that we can really grasp it? So the doctor, California licensed physician, two years experience. This is all check marks. Ability to attend court hearing because of mental inability. The proposed conservative is not able to attend the court hearing. Remember, these, this is going to have been filled out in the Britney case as well. Um, this in the Britney case, though, is, I believe, under seal. But it talks about whether they can attend the court hearing for themselves, what have you. In the Britney case, this is the same thing that was checked. Now, not this one, obviously, but these are the same documents that would have been done in the Britney case. So this is what that looks like when we get into the beginning of a conservatorship. Because of mental, medical inability, the proposed is not able to attend the court hearing for the foreseeable future, supporting facts, dementia impairs his ability to understand the hearing. So this gets into alertness and attention, information processing, ability to modulate mood and affect, and we'll see what the doctor says. This is literally how this goes in a conservatorship. These are all just check boxes. Um, So a lot of these have moderate to major impairment, um, orientation to person. Again, we are not doctors. We are just reading what is said without reading into what is said. But a lot of these are B and C, which means moderate to major impairment, ability to modulate, modulate mood and affect. The conservative has um, a pervasive and persistent reoccurring emotional state that appears inappropriate to the degree to his or her circumstances secondary to his dementia. So that is what they are saying. So anger, anxiety, fear, pain, um, and helplessness. And again, I can understand that if he has dementia, which is what this doctor is saying, I imagine the sense of helplessness is probably very distressing. And that's a really sad thing. However, when we get into that LA Times articles, these lawsuits from clients go back years and years and years. And all of those people, all of those lawsuits are people that trusted this doctor, doctor, lawyer, to make them whole when they were injured in a plane crash, in an explosion, by a company, by toxicity, by medication. And they've been affected by this greatly. So while I have empathy for somebody struggling with Alzheimer's, it does not erase everything that's been done to these individuals. 
And so my sadness for this is empathy for a human struggling with mental impairment, if that is the case, which this doctor says that it is in this court document, but it doesn't erase how frustrated I am for every client that's ever trusted him. And then proof of service with all the addresses. So this would have been sent, this was sent to Erica. This was sent to his brother. These look like home addresses. This was sent to his daughter, his son, and another daughter. So those are the, those are the medical uh, documents that have been submitted by the court. What this doesn't make clear here, I'm just going to pull this up so you can look at it while I'm looking at it, um, is what testing was done. It does not say. This could have been just a face-to-face meeting with impression, questions and impressions. It does not talk about any medical testing that was done. So, ay ay ay. All right, let's move on to the bankruptcy case updates. The bankruptcy case is the most interesting right now because a lot has happened and a lot has happened in the last few days. Mm. So, there have been rulings that came down and orders that came down from the court on March 4th. So, Tom Girardi is going to have to move out of the house. It is going to be put up for sale and they have allowed him to stay in the house until it is sold. There's a lot of regulations about how the house must be kept. Um, that the Ooh, bankruptcy what are the regular, what are the regular, this I'm interested in. Oh, you have to keep it in, you know, good condition and clean condition. Yeah. You can't just let the house fall to hell. You have to maintain the house. And we're seeing funds being released from the bankruptcy court to allow the house to stay in good standing, to have, you know, the back property taxes that weren't paid, paid to have maintenance done, to have the yard taken care of. So to have upkeep done on the house, he's allowed to stay in the house. Um, until it goes into escrow and then has 20 days to get out of the home. His brothers argued, you know, he has nowhere to go. Please don't kick him out now. Let us find somewhere to go while the house is being sold. I don't think we have to worry about Tom Girardi, like taking sledgehammers to the walls in the house. I really don't (laughs) think that's what we're going to see. I mean, and that's Mm. the bankruptcy court's concern, right, is to protect the property from Mm -hmm. being damaged. We've also seen the bankruptcy court um, disavow some of the property and saying that they're not going to go after it. So what we've learned is a lot of the cars are leased. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yes, leased. And so the bankruptcy court's like, there's no value in them, turn them in. You know, we the lease is a debt. The cars can't be sold we need to get rid of these debts. So we're not dealing with this property, let them be repossessed or whatever, because the bankruptcy court's not going to approve to pay for the the Range Rover and the Maserati and whatever else. They're just not going to do it. So they're like, but the cars are leased. I'm like, oh, T, the cars are leased? Like, that interesting. I'm sure none of the other lawyers give a shit. I was fascinated. I'm like, they're leasing their cars? What? This is why we don't play the keeping up with the Joneses game. Right. Because you never... No. What I haven't seen yet, and I've been digging for, is discussion about the airplanes. Like that, I haven't seen yet because I believe. Oh, I would assume those are like that's like a you pay on an as needed basis. I don't think he actually owns the planes. I don't think he does either. I just wanted to see it. And so that's what we're seeing in that on the business side, because there's two bankruptcies there's the bankruptcy of Tom Girardi, the dude, and there's the bankruptcy of Girardi Keese, the law firm. And what we're seeing on the law firm side is no one turning over the schedules of assets, which is required early in bankruptcy. The the bankrupt individual, the debtor, has to turn over the schedules of all of the stuff that's owned, all of the stuff that's owed. That's not happened. And it doesn't seem to be getting done because Tom Girardi doesn't have an attorney appearing on these cases yet. So why is that? Really why, how would he not have an attorney? I think he's just opted out of the whole thing. Like his brother's arguing it's because he needs the conservatorship and is not capable of hiring an attorney. I don't know if attorneys want to touch this with Mm -hmm. a 10 foot pole. And it'll be interesting to see because the bankruptcy court has to approve the attorneys getting paid. It's not like Tom can plop down a retainer fee. So there's a lot of unknowns there and I can understand why people might not want to touch it. Um, So now the bankruptcy trustee is like, I have to prepare these schedules So the bankruptcy trustee and the bankruptcy trustee in the business case, her attorney law firm is Smiley Wang. It makes me giggle every time I say it, but the the Smiley (laughs) Wang uh, law firm has said through their filings, it's going to take at a minimum six months to put together these schedules because of how essentially disorganized 
and voluminous the business is. The business seems to be in complete disarray. And there are clients, and I know because some of them have reached out to me, there are clients that have no idea what's happening with their active cases, no idea how to go about hiring a new attorney, no idea if they can hire a new attorney because the bankruptcy trustee has sued other attorneys trying to take some of these cases. Horrible. Matt, it's the in all of this, I don't have a ton of empathy for Tom Girardi at all. I I have some empathy for Erica Jane because we still don't know how much she knew, but I am beginning to grow suspicious of whether Why? she knew this was all coming down. Tell me. We'll get to that. Oh, okay. I have okay. a lot, I have a lot of empathy for the clients of the Girardi Keys Law Firm. And there are at this point thousands of human individuals that have no idea what's happening with lawsuits. Some of these suits that have been going on for years. So to now have to watch this be push-pulled in the media, not knowing what's happening with your case after you've already been through a traumatic event breaks my heart. So why with Erica? Well, the amount that she has stayed away is suspicious to me at this point because she hasn't shown up to court to be like, can I help? What do I know? What do you need? Like you have access to my things. I just, I'm horrified and heartbroken this is happening. There's indications that she was on the board's of some of these businesses, her businesses are being sued and they haven't shown up at court either. There's now a default judgment in the Illinois case because EJ Creative hasn't shown up. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Erica and Tom are both taking the same approach to this, which surprises me. So what I would expect from a spouse that doesn't know, and again, this is my speculation, is at least representation would show up for the business, at least for the business that you wouldn't be completely radio silent on all of that. So the radio silence plus the kind of sassy Instagram posts and what have you are, are unsettling to me. We still don't know for sure what she knew or how she knew. I'm sure it will come out, but the courts are starting to ask, where's Erica? Why isn't she showing up? What is happening here? And now her business has a default judgment against it in the Illinois case because the nobody's shut up. What do you think of that new house she's renting? I want to know how she's paying for it. Because her assets. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Should be frozen. But those are still marital property that goes into this bankruptcy. Wait. Her income from being on Housewives is marital income? Yeah. Yeah. There's no prenuptial agreement. She's been very clear. There's no prenuptial agreement. So everything that's earned by both parties during the course of the marriage is marital aspects. And... It's alleged in the Illinois case that her company took a $20 million loan from the Girardi Keys law firm. Right, right, right. That means she and her company owe $20 million to the bankruptcy court. It's going to be a matter of time before the bankruptcy court sues her and her company if she doesn't get dragged into this court in another way. But yeah, her income's marital property. What will become of Erica Jane? It'll be interesting to see. I don't know. I mean, I remember in our last episode, you said like the no divorce is happening anytime soon because the bankruptcy yeah. has to conclude first. So they will be married for the next 20 years. I mean, they're going to be another still Beth- alive. Bethany, Bethany and Jason. <laughs> right. I guess if he's still he's alive. alive. I mean, his right. age becomes a factor in all of this. And there's been there's been health issues that's been alluded to in some of these court documents. Do you believe that? Though? No one has seen him. I mean, I, I don't I don't know. I don't, could it all be bullshit? Yep, sure could all be bullshit. Could it be true? Yep, sure could be true. Don't, I don't have a gut reaction to it because either is completely possible. But what we saw is somebody on Housewives when they filmed who seemed charming and available. But we also saw someone who relied on much older stories someone who was never really talking about the contemporary things that were going on in their life. So is this somebody that is losing their ability to have short-term memory and manage things short-term and still be able to mask it with telling stories of days past because that's all they can remember? Possibly. He's a dynamic and charming individual. I know attorneys that know him and all have said he will just blow you over with charm. But sometimes that charm can cover up a whole lot of bullshit And if the bullshit that it was covering up was um, mental incapacity, Hmm. I imagine that he is of an age where the shame that goes around that and the reputation around that, he wouldn't ever want to admit it because the thing that a lawyer has at the end of the day is their mind. And so if he was struggling with health issues, I don't think he would have told anyone. Hmm. And, And so it 
that's why I'm like, it could very well be either because I I've seen attorneys struggle with addiction and mental health. And when you struggle with those things, your mind is now in question. And that's literally what you have as a lawyer. So how much of this realistically do you think Erica, I mean, I doubt she can really say anything just talking about like her personal feelings about moving out of the house and getting divorced. Like she can't be honest about anything on the show. Really? I mean, like, what are you, what are you expecting from the new season of Beverly Hills? I, I want to know, I want Elisa run a moment with like, but yeah, did you know though? And if Lisa doesn't, I'm going to be kind of disappointed too, because she would do it to anyone else. Lisa goes after people and asks, asks the pointed questions. That's like kind of her role on the show is to be that one who's asking the pointed questions, kind of like Jackie Goldschlager over in, in Jersey. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to ask the questions and then I'm going to end up being the bad guy and it's all going to blow back on me. But I want to see the question asked, like, but did you know, did you know about the embezzlement? But she she's going to say no. Yeah, she's going to be like, I, I did. You know what? It. I did know. <laughs> like, that's not what we're going to say. She can't. She can't at all because there's a criminal investigation um, or at least there's, there, it's been alluded that this has been turned over to the um, U.S. Attorney's Office. So with that, there's not much she can say about the embezzlement. Can she talk about the divorce? Yes. Can she talk about if there's health issues there, like genuine health issues? Could she talk about that? Yes. Could she come out and do kind of a PR spin on Tom's been struggling with, you know, losing his mental acuity for the last few years and I have been heartbroken and horrified and trying to protect him and I couldn't do it anymore. Maybe we'll see, but she can't talk about the bankruptcy much because it's all tied into if there is a criminal investigation was, you know, was Tom Girardi embezzling knowingly from victims of tragic accidents? Cause right now all signs point to yes. I'm most looking forward to her press interviews because that's where that's where people will ask. Yes, they're going to have to. I want to see how she's paying. For, like, how are you paying for glam? How is the squad getting paid? Are you fly, who's flying them to here and there and everywhere? And this was all going down kind of towards the end of the season, right? This all started breaking at at the towards the end of filming. No, was it the middle? It, it the beginning, the middle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if they, well, with COVID too, they're not going to be really flying anywhere, are they? Right. The housewife trip's going to be like, hey, we got an Airbnb and Big Bear. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're going to the desert. Let's go to Palm Springs. So we might not see it. It's not like she's flying her glam squad to Rome this season, but it'll be interesting to see. And it'll be interesting to see the speculation around reading between the lines about what she says. And interesting to see if she comes back next year. I mean, any final thoughts? Like, is there anything... Anything that we haven't touched on that you I mean, you know? we've covered a lot. I would love to know. I, I, It's just so interesting to watch it play out. And we're not at the end of any of these stories. I don't know. And that's what I love about following court cases. Like you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know how it's going to end. You don't know what people are going to do. Will I'll be interested to see if the house, you know, is, is the Girardi mansion going to be on Zillow? Like, with photos, are we all going to be able to creep it? Well, like, wait, I you know, know. You know Teresa, <laughs> Teresa's house is on Zillow. Yes, I don't know if the bankruptcy court will shop this more privately. Uh huh. But yeah, I know Teresa's house is on Zillow. I'm like, interesting. That house. Interesting. I mean, yeah. What do you think? That house. What do you think of? I guess just in general, like Teresa. Well, I guess forget about Teresa. More like Joe Gorga's de- dealings. They're selling that house. Like, why? That's interesting. Isn't he the great house flipper, like real estate broker, renovator? Wait, they're selling like, the big, the big one. They're selling their house. I didn't know that. Yes, Melissa. Gorga, I'm shook. G- Melissa filmed a scene, like with moving back, or there were photos of her moving. That's probably gonna be the end of the season. Is like her like leaving the house, like you know them well, because moving. Because we're starting to get insinuations that there's financial troubles, right? We're starting to get these little drops of like oh, Joe's not paying these guys and Joe hired this and that. We're starting to see little drops of that. So who knows? Like the house has a recording studio in the bot. Like their house is <laughs> ridiculous, know. first of all. All these houses are ridiculous. And that's what we love about the show. We love looking at the ridiculous houses. And I, I imagine the cast feels like if they don't have a ridiculous house, everybody's going to be like, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> what's with that house? 
The housewives are fascinating. What what has historically been your feeling on Teresa? I have so many feelings about Teresa. Um, I think she definitely allows herself to play the role of the bad guy. Um, her lack of self-awareness sometimes feels almost intentional. But I would love to see, I really would love to see her open up more and share her actual journey. I think it'd be so much more interesting than her just screaming at people. She's been through a lot on this show. She's she's given birth to a child and gone to prison and gotten divorced and had her husband deported. She's been through a lot. I'm very interested in the kind of story arc of how do you rebuild yourself in your your 40s when the life that you saw for yourself has completely caught fire and burned to ash? Because she talked early on in the show. She's like, no, my parents raised me this, you know, I'm a traditional Italian girl. You get married, you have kids, you abide by your husband, you make food, you have parties. This is your life. Her entire life went up in smoke and it's not going to plan. How do you shift and recover from that? That's way more interesting to me than her being like, I can't believe you're saying this and dropping C words all the time. But that takes depth, like actual depth to share that journey. Erica has the ability to commune. Erica has the depth. She's just chosen to like put on this persona. I hope so too. Or at least maybe a book in the future because Erica's life also has gone up in smoke. And a lot of of parallels. A lot of parallels Um, in her forties, you know, and you see also the tumultuous, like she kind of fought to get into the spotlight her whole life fought and fought, wanted to be in the spotlight. She got the spotlight. She got the Broadway role and then COVID and then everything blew up. Her whole life blew up because it was a lie. And it, I want to see how you rebuild from that because a lot of people go through that. And a lot of people have a lot of shame when their life blows up due to divorce or illness or death or, or addiction. And if we can take the shame away from it, I mean, especially when it comes to financial crimes, which is what's going on with both of them. Mm-hmm. How do you take the shame away and, and keep walking through that with strength? That's the storyline I want to hear. Yes. Damn it. Hell yes. <laughs> and you, you cover all of this. I mean, you're, you live stream how many days a week and how many, how many videos do you make a week? I live stream on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central and Fridays at 7 p.m. Central, unless stuff goes down and then I throw in other live streams. And then I tend to upload one kind of deeper dive, more streamlined video a week. That's also my podcast uh, episode with the Emily show that tends to be just a one topic look at something. So I don't get distracted by the chat because my streams tend to be two hours long though. Yesterday I streamed for three and a half hours. (laughs) What were you, what were you streaming yesterday for three and a half hours? There was a new motion in the Toddy Westbrook defamation lawsuit regarding all of the YouTube drama. And it was a bombshell for anyone that's covering that case or, or interested in that case. Yesterday was kind of a bombshell and there's a lot going on behind the scenes. There's been a lot of motions in that case, but that is squarely in the realm of YouTube influencer drama. And it's fascinating, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees. And we're not even started yet. 65 filed documents, in this case, which is more than we see in most cases. The only case that's keeping up that pace right now are the Girardi bankruptcies because there's new stuff multiple times a week. And it's there's hundreds of docket items now in the Girardi cases. It's quite a lot to keep up with, but there's lots of debtors in those two different bankruptcy cases. So I'm fascinated by all of it, but I love the kind of pop culture spin because it's characters that we know like you don't have to have buy-in you're already bought in you're nosy I'm nosy I want to know and the court documents let us see what's going on and I love breaking that down I just went over Kanye West's Sunday service lawsuits oh and I'm sure there's going to be more but this kind of stuff surrounding people that we're interested in is just it's fascinating and where can everyone like what's your i mean i know you can just type in emily (laughs) Emily baker in youtube this isn't like rocket science but like what's the share the name um of your of your channel and the podcast because you also just release it in podcast form which is great as well i do so i'm the emily d baker everywhere on social youtube is my main platform but i 
do the behind the scenes stuff on Instagram and Twitter. And the show is the Emily show. It comes out every Wednesday and that's in podcast form and in video form over on the YouTubes. YouTube has been so good to me. Thank you so much. <laughs> this just thank you. This I love amazing. being here. I love our chats. And we wander everywhere. Guys, you can follow me, Jess XNYC, follow the show account, Hot Takes Deep Dives, and I can't wait. We're gonna we're gonna do the Bethany and Jason deep dive of my dreams. That's what's next. I can't wait. My dreams too. I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Jess. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.